is Upfront on Voice of America. I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington. Thank you so much for joining us today. On this Upfront of African artists of the decade, African artists still complain that much of their work does not get the opportunity to be displayed internationally, whether it's in world-class museums or high-profile private galleries. A new NFT marketplace hopes to change that. Whether they are in photography, uh, doing sculptures, any type of art. When we started engaging with the people, we could understand what was the missing link, which is often the visibility. That is Moroccan techpreneur Anas El Aras. He's the founder of Msani, a new NFT marketplace that targets African artists. In Kenya, the country's Supreme Court unanimously upheld William Ruto's presidential win, cementing Ruto's victory, but also the perception that Kenya's judiciary has come a long way to assert its independence from political interferences. So what challenges will President-elect Ruto have to confront as he embarks on his first term in office? Unify the nation and deal with the economy and unemployment rate that is so high in Kenya, especially among the young people. Vincent Makori is the managing editor for VOA's Africa 54 TV program. He covered the elections in Nairobi and joins us with some insights into what this moment means for Kenyans. We'll have those stories and more coming up right here on Upfront. But first, let's hear from you, our listeners. Now, Kenyans recently went to the polls to elect a new president. The results were challenged in the Supreme Court, which, after deliberation, upheld the election results. And this is obviously something that happens rarely around the continent. That's the peaceful transfer of power and a robust judicial system that operates without undue influence from the ruling party. So our question of the week is, which lessons can we pick from Kenya? Yeah, like, like, like how it was done in Kenya, the, the judicial system showed that it is independent. Not like this one of Uganda, whereby they, they, they serve the president who is in power. But those ones never showed that they are on the side of the president who is in power. They never even showed any interest from any person. They did as an separate body, whereby they had no intimidation and they had no supervision. They did it with clear justification. So the election of Kenya should be an example to the, the judicial system of, of Kenya should be an example to the rest of Africa that they can work as an independent body without being intimidated by the government in power or any other party or any other foreign interests. In most countries in Africa, the judicial exists in a pretense. So judiciary works in the interests of the rulers, per se, the leaders, the autocrats who run particular societies. For it is it it is it is it is new to find a country where a, a, an election can be nullified, a, a candidate can receive fair hearing. You know, such things are new. We believe that the judiciary, it's high time for the judiciary to guide the electoral process in Africa. Thank you so much for your opinions. You're listening to Upfront on The Voice of America. Now, although the African art scene has seen a substantial growth in the last decade, African artists still complain that much of their work does not get the opportunity to be displayed internationally, whether it's in world-class museums or high-profile private galleries. 
Artists say that even in cases where they have access to these platforms, their work continues to be undervalued when compared to their Western counterparts. However, the recent boom in cryptocurrencies and new NFT marketplaces has created new opportunities for artists to access alternative markets to sell their works. NFTs or non-fungible tokens use blockchain technology that creates or means digital objects, including arts, photographs, videos, and other forms of media. Moroccan techpreneur Anas El Aras is the founder of Msani, a new NFT marketplace that targets African artists. He tells me that this is the first-of-its-kind platform that was designed to be a merchant space to enable African artists and digital creators reach new consumers. Anas, when I first uh, met you in Casablanca in 2018, I believe, uh, you were working on a number of projects. I would call you uh, a serial entrepreneur. Why and when did you embark on this new entrepreneurial journey? Since that time, as you remember, in Casablanca, I was already talking about blockchain, NFTs, and lots of people were looking at me and thinking, oh, what is this guy talking about? But uh, since that time, things have been developing a lot, not only from our side, but all over the world, especially with the pandemic. Everything was locked down, everything, uh, everyone was uh, staying at home. So even for art, for exhibitions, we were not able to do any of that. And then the emergence of and the importance of having a virtual world where artists, where museums, they can still interact with their audience came uh, to the surface, which is something that everyone today can achieve through NFTs, non-fungible tokens. You know, can you explain to us briefly what an NFT, your non-fungible token is and, and how this uh new Afro marketplace that you're launching is going to work? Yeah, well, uh, think about an NFT as a, a collectible, as a piece of art that can represent anything and everything. And uh, what is uh, interesting about NFTs, since uh, it's all about blockchain, uh, the transactions and everything around them uh, cannot be changed. So, if we are talking about artwork, for instance, uh, we are guaranteeing the copyrights. We are guaranteeing the, the authenticity of whatever piece because the you can trace the NFT until the date of its creation and have every single piece of transaction recorded within this token. So this is why they are non-fungible. They cannot be divided. Because we have also fungible tokens like uh, the what people know as cryptocurrencies, for instance, like Bitcoin. There are many replicas, but for the NFTs, we are talking about the uniqueness of things. Uh, plus, there is a very interesting concept which is called the royalties. So, for instance, if me as an artist, as a painter, I'm uh, putting together some nice drawing, some masterpiece. And then when I want to sell it for the first time, I might sell it for like 100 bucks. But a few years later, this might sell for like a million dollars. But then I'm out of the game. But with the royalties, you can define at the very beginning when you are 
bringing this creation to the world of NFTs, you define the royalty. So let's say I'm putting a 10% or a 20%, and whenever this sells even 100 times, it's guaranteeing that you will be getting your cut on it. So it's really to provide this sustainable income, which goes beyond a one-time transaction. And this mm -hmm. is all what's Msani, uh, the uh, pioneering Afro and African NFT marketplace is about. And who decides, uh, in this case, the value of the art? The value of the art is uh, uh, up to the artist, to the creator, to uh, to decide on the value of the art. So, for, for instance, uh, our platform, it enables you to set the price. You are free to choose, and then you test out the market. So, whatever, there are lots of artists who tend at the beginning to lower the price because they are uh, they know that it's not only about the first sale, but whatever number of sales, they keep earning revenue out of them. So that's uh, that's the thing. We are also, uh, in the next couple of weeks, we are releasing a new feature, which is auctions, three types of auctions. And then if you're not sure about what, what is the right price, you can just put it for auctions. And still, even if you list a piece and of the marketplace will tell you the marketplace essentially will yeah. tell you how much value they assign to to that piece of work. This is upfront on the Voice of America. I'm talking to Moroccan entrepreneur or techpreneur Anas El Aras. He's the founder of Msani, a new NFT marketplace that targets African artists. Anas says that this is the first of its kind platform designed to be a merchant space that enables African artists and digital creators reach new audiences, new consumers, or new buyers. This marketplace uh, is accessible to every artist, any artist that wants to join? Yeah, it is accessible to any artist that wants to join. Uh, but uh, for us, uh, the main focus is African, Afro, and Black art. So this is the line of focus because for us, it's about Africa. We want to enable African creators and artists. So that's the main line of, of focus. Mm. Because what's what's interesting let, is that let, we let, got... Before, the... before we get into that, let me ask you again, in, in terms of understanding the NFT and what, what that means for many people, because uh, I'm sure they, they, there's a lot of artists that would want to join, but some of this language is new to them and you know might confuse them. Uh, for an NFT, the non-fungible token, they said digital, uh, I guess, property or assets. What happens to the physical asset itself, the art piece that he has drawn or created? Yeah, that's that's a really good question because uh, uh, normally at this uh, stage, uh, when you're buying the NFT or buying the, uh, let's call it the digital representation of the artwork, but what we are doing right now, especially with uh, the well-renowned artists and art houses, galleries, museums, we are launching collections where uh, for the holders of these NFTs, they will be able to redeem them and get the actual piece of work as well. Okay, and so without, without paying any extra money. Yeah, so okay. this is something that we are launching progressively with the art houses. There are some of them in Morocco, in Nigeria, in other countries where we have like partners, they will have their own collections 
and we are taking them into this transformation. So these are traditional art houses connected to 50 artists, for instance, and we are helping them and we are doing this whole work of minting their artwork and bringing it to the world of NFTs. But then the collector, he is getting other privileges and one of them is the actual representation of that piece. So for instance, if you purchase one, you will get the actual piece as well. Let's talk about how this is going to transform the continent's uh, art marketplace. Uh, what are some of the benefits for an artist to join this marketplace? There, there are lots of benefits. First, um, there lots of artists, especially in remote areas, in countries where there is difficult access to marketing tools, for instance, to get known. Because for several months, what we have been doing is to uh, try to research and identify also talented artists, whether they are in photography, uh, doing sculptures, any type of art. And then we have been reaching out to them and telling them, hey, you are doing really good work. Uh, are, you are you able to make a living out of it? And then when we started engaging with the people, we could understand what was the missing link, which is often the visibility. The visibility that they are, they get known, that people know what they are working on, what they are doing, and that they can get direct access to clients, mm. which are the collectors. Okay. So this is one benefit. Uh, the second benefit is that it's a community at the end of the day. So we have noticed since the launch that some of the famous artists, for instance, when they make sales in the platform, they go and they purchase as well uh, creations from the uh, beginner artists or those who have not made that much volume. So there is this sense of solidarity and uh, uh, some other things which go beyond the word of uh, blockchain and NFTs, which is the social responsibility that whatever value is generated, we are working on several actions to make an impact through contributing to like local development initiatives and that's one of the main goals behind Msani. That was Moroccan techpreneur Anas Al-Aras. He is the founder of Msani, a new NFT marketplace that targets artists. I reached him in Portugal, where he's currently based. You're listening to Upfront on The Voice of America. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Border Crossings. Join host Larry London. Larry London. On Border Crossings, VOA's only worldwide music request hour. Oh. Every weekday at 1500 Universal. Tune in for the biggest hits and amazing artists. Win prizes and get the latest news from exclusive celebrity interviews. Ooh. Send your requests to Facebook at VOA Larry London. Twitter at Border Crossings or Instagram at Border Crossings VOA or call 202-619-2077 and have your favorite music played to the entire world. Ah. Don't miss Border Crossings every weekday at 1500 Universal only on The Voice of America. Welcome back. This is Upfront on The Voice of America. Kenya's Supreme Court upheld William Ruto's win. 
The ruling was delivered by Kenya's first female Chief Justice, Mata Kome. Opposition leader Raila Odinga said that he disagreed with the ruling but that he would respect the court's verdict. The acceptance of the ruling by Raila Odinga eased fears that Kenyans would see a repeat of the violence that followed disputed elections of 2007 and 2017. The ruling was also seen as victory for the country's judiciary that has in the past been viewed as highly influenced by politicians. VOS Africa 54 managing editor Vincent Makori joins me to talk about the Kenyan elections, Kenya's judiciary, and what issues President Ruto will have to confront as he embarks on his first term in office. So, Vincent, thank you so much for joining us. I wanted to ask you how significant this election and the results were for Kenyans, uh, for somebody like you, who, you know, not only a Kenyan, but also covered these elections. This were major elections for Kenya because, first, uh, it was uh, uh, an election that was going to see a transition from, uh, you know, uh, a serving president who could not run again. So it's always interesting to get to that point where you have a brand new person going to be president, you know, as opposed to uh, when you have an incumbent running for re-election. So here, uh, you know, you get to get that opportunity for a new person now to start a new term. So that was significant on that uh, particular angle. But also it was significant in the sense that, um, uh, you know, uh, former deputy president, actually a deputy president, sitting deputy president, was literally going up against the president with whom they ran uh, an election twice. And uh, that president uh, decides to endorse a member of the opposition and and, and throughout the campaign literally, uh, you know, says the most um, extreme things you could say about his former uh, you know, ally in the government, but also a, a serving deputy to himself. Uh, so that was interesting. And um, and then, uh, as as you mentioned earlier, uh, the the fact that uh, an opposition leader was being endorsed by a sitting president that is, uh, um, you could say, unprecedented in many places. Um, that uh, the person not only an opposition leader, but a person who was uh, a, a bitter rival in the previous elections. And, and, and uh, to some degree, people that had exchanged some of the most, uh, you know, um, you could say vile things about each other. Now we're working together uh, in, 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 uh, in this election. And so it was a very, very bizarre situation uh, and also a very interesting election for many observers. Right. Now, this was not uh, Raila Odinga's first rodeo. He has run in the past before uh, in a couple of elections. Uh, he's quite popular in Kenya. He has a lot of support, uh, especially in his uh, constituency, his core constituency. Uh, but, you know, heading into this election, as somebody who had been observing uh, the elections, you know, the players, you know, heading into this election, was this viewed as a foregone conclusion for Ryla winning this? Well, first you have to 
consider the fact that Raylo Dinga is hugely popular. He's a man that is believed to have uh, won the election way back in 2007. In fact, it's believed by many others that he won the election in 20, uh, uh, 2013 and even 2017. And so there are many who consider this pers- this uh, time around uh, Raila kind of uh, easily winning this election. Uh, also, the endorsement by the president, the sitting president, was viewed by some as giving him a boost uh, because, of course, uh, uh, President Uhuru Kenyatta comes from uh, uh, the one of the biggest communities, in fact, the biggest ethnic community in Kenya, so as a voting bloc, that's kind of uh, a big, big boost. And there's that assumption that that boost will uh, give uh, Raila Odinga those votes from the central part of Kenya. Uh, but on the flip side, you know, while Mr. William Ruto is uh, much younger, politically is not really a newcomer in that uh, you go back uh, to, say, tw- 2007, um, Mr. Ruto was running as a, as an ally of Raila Odinga in the election that actually uh, led to those uh, uh, you know, chaos, the, the violence of 2007, which was believed that Raila Odinga, of course, working uh, along with uh, William Ruto then, uh, had won. So uh, William had been, William Ruto had been in the system. He had worked the political systems. He had been uh, in the campaigns, uh, not only with Raila Odinga, but even before then. But one thing that has to be uh, remembered, and most people who have closely looked at this, is that uh, William Ruto, way back then, seemed to have been very, very clear about uh, his path, where he wanted his to ambition. go. His ambition. He was very clear about his ambition. Mm. Uh, he had put his eyes on the presidency. And his campaign for this year, for the presidency, didn't begin today. He has been on the campaign for this presidency for 10 years or more. A person who had focus, he had a strategy, and while many people didn't think it's going to work, and and, and, and that answers your question, many people thought Mr. Odinga's victory is going to be a guaranteed, especially this time, because the incumbent president was on his side, and it had always been seen that one of the disadvantages he, he had, he suffered over the time, is being on the outside. Now it was more like on the inside. And in fact, including William Ruto, they were saying there is a deep state that was keen on uh, ensuring that Raila Odinga becomes the president. Many people I spoke to before this election were saying there's no question about it. Raila Odinga is going to be president because the systems are in his favor. In case you're just joining us, this is Upfront on the Voice of America. My name is Jackson Vungani. We are talking to Vincent Makori. He's the managing editor for the Africa 54 program here on the Voice of America. Vincent was in Kenya, in Nairobi, Kenya, covering the elections, the recently concluded elections. He has also covered the elections in Kenya for over two decades now, so he's quite knowledgeable uh, and has lots of insights on some of the major players, some of the nuances, the dynamics at play in these elections. Kenya has uh, been known to, you know, in the past, 
that uh, each, its judiciary has been heavily influenced or there's been political interference in the judiciary. Uh, whenever there's, uh, you know, big court cases, um, the ruling yesterday was delivered by uh, the country's first female chief justice, uh, that's uh, Martha Kome. What does this mean for, for Kenya and Kenyans and the Kenyan, you know, judicial system? Would you say that Kenya's uh, judiciary has actually, you know, passed a big test? Or a, a major test. And I have to say that when this was demonstrated even better was 2017. Remember when Raila Odinga went to court in 2017 and took the IBC to court, uh, the case was handled uh, I, I, in an environment where the incumbent and uh, the deputy then, who was the right William Ruto, were, were very angry with the court. They were actually threatening the, the, the system. Uh, but at the same time, the judiciary in Kenya has been strengthened and made so independent that even then, when the incumbent himself was the one that literally uh, was put on, 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 on the defense, the court was able to rule uh, against Mr. Uru Kenyatta and, um, and Mr. Ruto then. That is the first time Kenyans saw the true independence of Kenya's judiciary. In fact, after that ruling, Kenyatta threatened the, just, the, the, the judiciary and even said, I'm going to fix you guys. Uh, but still, the judiciary maintained its uh, independence, its freedom. And uh, we saw a ruling not long ago of a, a certain um, a bill called the BBI, which was also fronted by the incumbent and Raila Odinga, which was defeated in court. Uh, by the, those uh, who support who, who were posted, including William Ruto, and that showed very clearly that the judiciary is no longer beholden to the incumbent or the the, the the government of Kenya. It has its own place. It is independent. So the latest ruling also proved that regardless of uh, which side you stand, uh, the judiciary is determined to adjudicate cases, listen to both sides and make a ruling that is independent and binding. And you've seen that all sides, in as much as they may not be happy, have accepted the ruling of the courts, and they will abide by that. So Kenya has come a long way, longer the days when the president can determine, uh, you know, how the court is going to rule. Right, and hopefully this is something that can be emulated by other countries around the continent. Uh, but uh, Vincent, uh, real quick, in about a minute or less, Ruto is starting. He's, uh, you know, obviously about to embark on his uh, first term. What are some of the, the pressing issues that he has to confront in his first year in power? Based on what you saw recently in Kenya after speaking to people, what are people saying on the ground about some of the things that are the challenges that Ruto has to face so will have to tackle? in uh, his first year in office? Yes, very. the most immediate ones are the economy. First, the expectations are so high. He promised heaven. He promised to reverse uh, all the, 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 uh, the, the economic uh, <laughs> the, the economic downturn of the country and, and make it possible for people to have a prosper, prosperous life. Uh, one of the voices, some of the voices I was hearing immediately, he was a, a declared president-elect, was that, oh, you know, we're expecting the gas price to go down, the petrol price. We are expecting the uh, food prices to go down and uh, also to, to have availability of these commodities. 
there is a there's bound to be disappointment because it's hard for some of these things to just change because some of these are affected by factors way beyond the the, the management of the country or even the economy uh, the the factors in the country. Now, so there are those issues. Unemployment uh, rates are high. That's a challenge. The mm. economy is been challenged in 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 the most uh, extreme way. There's drought in parts of the country. But also the biggest, the other big challenge is unifying the country. It can never be forgotten that over 6 million people voted for Raila Odinga, which means uh, those 6 million did not vote for Ruto. He has to still bring all these people together and say, hey, I recognize I just won by a very narrow margin. How can I make us all work together as Kenyans, unify the nation and deal with the economy and unemployment rate that is so high in Kenya, especially among the young people. And that's it for this episode of Upfront on the Voice of America. Many thanks to you, all our listeners, our guests, and our correspondents from around the continent. For more current news and analysis, visit our website at voaafrica.com slash upfront. You can also connect with us on all social media platforms. We're on Facebook and Instagram at voaupfront. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington, wishing you a great week ahead, Africa. Hello, Africa. This is Peter Clotty, host of VOA's Africa Weekend show, Nightline Africa. Tune in. You will be glad you did. Nightline Africa is a fast-paced, tightly edited news show designed to keep our listeners engaged from beginning to end. Nightline comes to you live from the Voice of America on the following shortwave frequencies, 6080 kilohertz, 49.3 meter band, and 15580 kilohertz, 19.2 meter band.